Welcome to Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics. I'm your host, Theo Wan. At Onside, we run camps and programs for youth with the purpose of integrating faith, family, and sport. The Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics podcast was launched to give a chance for Christians in the sport world to share their story of faith and sport and to encourage you to live out your faith wherever God has placed you. We would love for you to share this podcast with your family, church, and community. And if you want to learn more about Onside Athletics, you can check us out at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. All right, so I'm here with Elodie Leuk Lowe. She played Olympic volleyball all the way back almost 10 years ago now, right? 2012 London Olympics. And she also was on the coaching staff for the University of Toronto women's volleyball team uh, who won a national championship a few years ago. So pretty excited to have her on. She's coming to us all the way from Langley, British Columbia, where she does work with Athletes in Action now and their volleyball program and uh, their volleyball ministry there. So Elodie, how are you doing today all the way from Langley? Oh, I'm doing great, Theo. It's a really nice day. Spring has sprung out here. So yeah, just enjoying my life out here. Yeah, for those in Ontario, today, unfortunately, there was actually a bit of a snowfall. So I'm not sure if you knew that, Elodie, but... There's a bit of snowfall today as we're recording here in mid to late April. So apparently every year in Ontario, there's usually a bit of a snow at this time. So, uh, you know, different weather in different parts of the country, but it's uh, all good here. So, Elodie, we're going to start off with your role in sport. And uh, we're going to focus a little bit first on your volleyball career. So can you tell the audience a bit of your background into volleyball? What made you want to pursue it? Uh, you played at the varsity level for the University of Toronto and then at the Olympic beach volleyball level. So that's pretty cool. So tell us how it all got started there. Yeah. Wow. Theo, like what a throwback. Even when you mentioned that the Olympics was 10 years ago. So now I have to think way back to my volleyball journey and where it all started. I would have to say it probably my love and passion for volleyball started in grade school. And it didn't really start with volleyball per se, but with this game called Newcomb Ball. So I don't know how many people actually know that game, but I just remember it. And I had a great gym teacher and we had like house league. It was this game where you catch and throw the ball, uh, but it was so intense. And I remember just like, yeah, being on uh, the winning team often. And uh, I think that just sparked uh, this idea of over the net playing and, uh, you know, and then got into volleyball more so in grade seven and eight. And uh, I just love all sports and played a variety of sports growing up, basketball in the fall, and then dabbled in track a little bit in the, you know, the summer, uh, softball, definitely. And so I just enjoyed a lot of sports, but I think I stuck with volleyball because it was um, something I had more success in. And also because it didn't require me running up and down the court like basketball did. So yeah, and got involved with a, a few good teams along the way and, and coaches that really built into me. And so I think that's also why I stuck with it. Just coaches who built into my life and really encouraged me to pursue a career in volleyball. And so played club, uh, Solars one year, uh, got involved with Connex, uh, which is part of a uh, uh, the nine-man uh, circuit and team, this North American Invitational Tournament that these teams get together uh, across North America to play uh, the big tournaments on Labor Day. And uh, through that, um, I think, uh, was really, again, the coach just really encouraged me to pursue varsity volleyball, which I, that was not even on my radar. I didn't think I was good enough. Went to tryouts in my first year, encouraged by my best friend also, who uh, said that I should try out. 
and was a walk-on and made it uh, on the U of T varsity team in my first year as a libero. And so, yeah, that kind of sparked my indoor career. And it was at U of T that my coach there brought up and introduced me to beach volleyball. That was our off-season training. And so that's how I got involved with beach volleyball was through U of T and my coach there. Yeah, Elodie, lots to dissect there. And uh, just a quick note there for the audience that might not know the position you just referred to in volleyball. Can you explain to the audience what a libero is? Because if uh, the audience there doesn't know volleyball, they might not know uh, what that position entails. So can you just do a quick little blurb about that? Yeah, for sure. The other name for libero would be backcourt specialist. And so usually go in only in the backcourt. We don't go to the front to the net to hit or do anything attacking wise. And they're primarily to serve receive and uh, to play defense. And it's funny because I was just watching um, our championship in 2003 and it happened to be in Guelph, which is the school that you went to, Theo in the barn so that's like old school the commentator when i was watching this game recently was just like oh yeah those of you who don't know who libero like that they're the ones who wear a different color shirt and i just thought that you know they ran out of shirts but so yeah it was just really funny that that's how we're seen yeah the ones who wear different color shirts (laughs) yeah so if you do watch volleyball you know at, at the u of g now we uh they no longer play at the barn, which is the old West gym there, but now they just play in the, the the gym that you see now there at the University of Guelph. But if you see volleyball players wearing different colored jerseys, that's what they are. They're there to play defense, and that's what you're all about there, Elodie. But beach volleyball is a little bit different, which we'll get to, because you get to do kind of all three positions. You know, you hit, you set, and you uh, play defense. So with your time at the University of Toronto, can you kind of summarize your career, what it meant to you as an athlete, just your development there? Uh, What did you kind of learn there? I know it's a throwback, as you mentioned, but see if you can remember the time there. Oh, wow. That's a good question, too. I think my time there uh, would be summarized as empowering, um, growing. And yeah, I just felt really poured into or built into. And we just have such a great staff who just support us and, and a group of staff. It's not just one or a couple. It's just like a team that really build into the athletes and support, have supported me uh, from like coaching staff to like, you know, physios and like medical staff, which I needed a lot of medical attention also back then to, you know, just other support uh, to uh, help me do well, not only um, in my sport, but in school. And so I really appreciated the holistic approach approach and and the approach where I felt cared for, not just as an athlete, but as as a person. And I just loved uh, the way that Coach Christine really helped us see how we can be strong women in this world uh, and really empowered us to do that, that, you know, we could be leaders even in, in this world. And so by my fifth year, she really helped spark that idea of that I can compete internationally in beach volleyball and, and really brought that up uh, for me. And that's how my journey to the Olympics started was really from her planting that idea to, to be able to represent Mauritius. Yeah. And so can you talk about that? Uh, because when we think Olympians, we might think only Canada, but you represented a different country there and playing the Olympics. So can can you kind of summarize just the whole journey to even get to the Olympics? And hopefully we can then talk about your Olympic experience. But how is it to even get on to the Mauritius national team and then try to qualify through the not like conferences that you see in, in pro sports or collegiate, but kind of uh, regions, right? There's regional championships. So can you talk about that experience there? 
Yeah, so at the time when we had this conversation in our office, I remember this too, the qualification process was a team would play in 12 FIVB tournaments, gain points from that, and then there was a rule where this like universality principle that the Olympics has where a team uh, from each continent is represented. And historically, it's just been teams from South Africa who re- represent Africa uh, at the Olympics. And so I was just like, okay, like, I think that that could be doable. I just need to find a beach partner that's just one other person rather than like a full volleyball team. Uh, we can travel and compete in these tournaments and that's uh, how we can qualify. And so I moved to Mauritius after I graduated and uh, lived there for a year and a half in hopes of finding a beach partner. And um, it was a lot harder than I thought. I, you know, I figured Mauritius, it's an island, you know, lots of beaches. There must be people that play beach volleyball, but a lot of the people that play only played indoor there and, and beach was not that big. And so um, I got connected with a club team and then ended up being scouted for the international team. So that's how I got my foot in the door with regards to the Mauritian Federation, the volleyball federation there. So unfortunately, I didn't find a beach partner because nobody really just didn't understand the process or or really just didn't want to give up playing indoor to pursue this, you know, kind of somewhat crazy dream to just give up everything and and pour into qualifying for for beach. And so um, I came back to Canada, but I was just like, you know what, let me give it one more shot. I like drafted up a proposal uh, had all these training camps on there, what it would cost, like if somebody moved to Canada, because that was my only context that I could think of, uh, you know, places where we can train and even budgeted the tournaments that we would have to participate in. And uh, I sent it to the Federation. And in 2008, because I was hoping to qualify for China, but as the Olympics was going on, I get an email about uh, a woman who's living in France who would, would just, that was her dream as well. And so... Yeah, we connected that summer, met her in France, trained for 10 days, and we played in our first tournament in Christiansen, Norway, uh, of all places. I don't know. You can probably Google that. I don't know if many people know that. Yeah, that started our Olympic journey for Mauritius, was just meeting somebody who was living in France at the time. She's Mauritian, but had moved there to pursue pro, just the pro league in France, and that started our, our journey. Yeah, a crazy journey, as you mentioned, leading to the Olympics. But for some more context for the audience, are you a Mauritian citizen as well? Like, how did you, how were you able to compete for that team? Uh, were you born there? And, and uh, what kind of things did you have to go through with that in terms of uh, paperwork and all that kind of stuff? Didn't fully even answer your question from before. So, yeah, I was born in Mauritius, and uh, my parents, like my sister and I, immigrated to Toronto in, when I was six years old. And uh, actually, we just celebrated our anniversary of being Canada for 32 years, like this week. And so I kept my Mauritian passport and I, yeah, I kept my citizenship. And so I'm a dual citizen. To kind of answer your previous question, that helped me get my foot in the door to be able to then play for Mauritius. And yeah, so after China, the qualification system changed and like you said we had to qualify through like regions and so there were these continental cups that were happening now where you had to essentially be the best team 
in your continent. So then they would have regional tournaments that um, these different stages, you know, of qualification that we had to participate in to be able to qualify. Uh, so not only did we play on the FIVB tour, which was also part of the qualification process, we had to be the best team in the continent of Africa. So our first tournament was in Mozambique, nope, Namibia, and then played in Mozambique twice, and we played our um, All-African Games there as well, which we made history by, uh, it was the first time they had beach volleyball at All-African Games, and we won the game, so we made history as well for Mauritius. And then we played in Nigeria, and then our final qualification tournament was in Rwanda. Can you just walk us through that that qualification tournament? Because that's you know that's the big uh, we're heading into the climax or crescendo of the story there, right? Making the Olympics. So can you talk about the qualification tournament? What that was like for you as an athlete? So I think a little bit of information of how to qualify to. I'll try to explain it as best as I can because I know this is uh, <laughs> I guess a podcast I can't you know visually show. It's, uh, you qualify as a country. So you don't qualify as an individual team, which the other process you do. So during these continental cups, um, you will have to go as a country and each country brings two teams. And so similar to tennis or squash, like team one will play team two of one country and then the team ones will play and then you know, team two versus team two would play. And so after those four matches, if there's a tie, because that's, you know, you, there's a likelihood of a tie, you play this one golden set to 15 points. And so most matches are like best of three and you go to 21 and then the third set is to 15. But the golden set is just one set to 15. And so you warm up to play one set to 15. So the pressure of the golden set was just like pretty crazy. And so we went to Rwanda for our finals. And I mean, I got to admit, I was really, really nervous. I was praying a lot. I was just, I remember on my knees quite a bit, just praying, getting ready for the tournament. And um, we had uh, to play three rounds at this qualification final tournament. And, uh, again, each round is you play, you know, team number two, you play team number one, and then after that, you maybe play a golden set. And so uh, the first round, we did not have to play a golden set. The second round, I forget if we did or not, but I felt like we did. And the third round, actually, we, my beach partner and I, being the team number one, we played their team number one, and uh, we were down in the third set. So it wasn't even like the finals finals, but had we lost that game, like we would have been out. And so we were down like a good five, six points and my beach partner just like served. And so I think a lot of the celebration happened after we won that third set, because like that would have been the end of our dream had we lost that game. So then we won and uh, we were waiting for our second team to finish playing. If they lost, then we played the golden set. If they won, then we'd be like, we qualified. Mauritius, the country for the Olympics. Yeah, and I was kind of nervous, wanting to watch, but at the same time, like to support them, but at the same time, like, I can't watch because then we would have to play a golden set. And so they lost and uh, the preparation for just this, again, your whole, what you've been training for, you know, your dreams all rely on this 15 points. Funny enough, I found this video of the golden set, this like home video, just that 15 points. And 
yeah, it was wild. And I can't even describe in words the emotions I was feeling. Again, the nerves. And, and then you go through all that, you know, sports psychology stuff of like trying to calm your nerves, deep breathing, all that stuff I tried to practice. Again, lots and lots of prayer. And so the firstborn, the golden set, we serve the ball and uh, they set it tight. And I go up and block and land on the person. And I thought that was it. I was like, this is how we won. <laughs> I started to kind of, kind of, you know, rejoice a little bit on the inside, but also feel bad because, you know, maybe the person was hurt. Um, the person got up and we played out. But yeah, we won that golden set. And it was just wild. Like, it was just crazy. The emotions, the excitement, like, again, dream of going to the Olympics, like actually happened. So yeah, it was a really, really fun time. And yeah, a really good group of people who were just cheering for us, um, like the other second team. And, you know, we made fans there. And so it was really fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm just visioning the story right now and seeing it in my mind. It just sounds like a, a pretty cool cinema-esque story there, Elodie. So can you talk about your Olympic experience now? Many people might not know about how you did or just or can can even remember that far back into 2012 so london olympics summer olympics you're playing against the best beach volleyball teams women's teams in the world so can you summarize that experience there for the audience like you said we were playing the best teams in the world and uh we had number one brazil in our pool uh larissa and juliana are just the best of the best and so that was nerve-wracking to have them in our pool. And then we had a German team and a Czech team in our pool. And it was really neat actually experiencing even the draw and like the excitement there. That happened at another tournament in uh, Klagenfurt, Austria, where they did the draw. And um, yeah, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Although reflecting back on the Olympic experience, it seemed like I did have expectations. Yeah, I mean, I can give you the generic answer of my experience of what I usually tell people, that it was great because that's what people expect to hear, that, you know, this was a dream and it was wonderful. And, and there were bits and pieces that were like the opening ceremonies as wild. And yeah, just be able to have your country name called out and you walking along the track, like that was really fun. And meeting different athletes in the Olympic Village, like that was a highlight too. And the story that I like to tell people is how we met Venus and Serena, the Williams sisters, uh, who wanted to collect pins or who just love collecting pins. And at the Olympics, athletes get pins that they get to trade. They just collect them from different athletes that you meet from around the world. And so that was really fun too. And just having my friends and family there watching me on that stage and walking out to Horse Guards Parade, which is where the Olympic uh, Beach Volleyball event was taking place as one of the only events that took place in the city of London. And from the bench uh, during timeouts, you can see Big Ben, you can see London Eye. And so that view was just like, I was just kind of, it was awesome to see and take it all in while you're on the court so those are like the highlights of like the memories that stuck out from from that time that made it really enjoyable but there were also really hard times like just trying to navigate as a small team all the things that again your first time being in olympics having to think through a lot of logistics of you know the meetings picking up uniform meeting going here setting up the training just a lot of the things that most bigger countries have, you know, either coaches or, you know, their delegation to take care of, even providing medical support and staff like that. We had to go and visit like the Olympic uh, village medical staff rather than having our own on hand, which again, bigger countries have. And so 
that was really challenging. And, and surprisingly, it's actually quite isolating being in the Olympic Village. And other than, you know, your teammate, again, being from a smaller delegation too, you know, we just have different schedules and there's just not as much support there. And so it can get pretty lonely and isolating in many, in many instances too. And um, I think I had expectations of doing a lot better. And so, I don't know, I just kind of want to redo sometimes. I'm not sure if how I could have done better. Like, my body was pretty maxed out by the time I got there. But, I don't know, I just, I, maybe it's my inner competitiveness and being an athlete. It just, I just wanted to see better results. And I, I think there was a lot of um, shame in not having better results or not even having won a set um, at the Olympics. So yeah, had to work through through that quite a bit. Yeah, and I really appreciate the vulnerability. Often when we hear stories of sport, we hear a lot of stories of triumph, but something we often don't think about is when one person or team triumphs, another team has to be on the opposite end of that and actually face trial. So you were able to experience that. So can you walk through, uh, you mentioned a little bit about shame, as much as you can share sort of what post-Olympics it was like for you just yeah, just with your the self-talk you talked about and just kind of maybe even your identity afterwards, right? Because you've crescendoed to this great experience and now it's over. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, it's something I've been reflecting on quite a bit recently as I've been journeying through, again, reflecting on, I guess, who am I? And, and I think uh, it's a lifelong journey, right, of, of identity, and uh, not realizing how much of my identity was in my sport and was in, you know, being able to perform well. And yeah, I, I, I think it wasn't until afterwards. And, and I even knew the truth that, you know, my identity is in Christ before that and that I'm a child of God. And yet the shame I felt afterwards, I guess, would say otherwise. And uh, to the point where i didn't want to call myself an Olympian. Like I, I, I still kind of struggle with that because I just didn't feel like I deserved to be there. And cause there were comments like, Oh, you know, you got the handout, like, you know, because we qualified through continental cups that, you know, each continent needs to be represented like that. Only the best of the best should be there. Um, and you know, it shouldn't be through these things. And so with those comments in mind, like I just kind of believed in those lies that, you know, I was not good enough and I was not good enough to be there. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was um, part of that added to the shame and the struggle of like calling myself even an Olympian. And so I worked through a lot of that. Again, I think it's just this expectation, like in my mind growing up, when I watched the Olympics, I'm just like, it's a place where everybody just gets along, you know, you get to meet people from around the world. Like, you know, you, you, bond over the fact that you play the sport and have and so I guess I had this like idea of what it was and, and didn't meet those ideas either and so I think that's where a lot of my disappointment came up and came through and my best friend actually did her uh, PhD on me and as we were doing interviews and reflecting a lot of these things and especially around um, identity she helped me realize like Elodie like not every country has like starts off on the same like playing field talking with regards to like equity and so that kind of puts things into perspective a little bit because I blamed myself and I think just the culture in itself you kind of take it on a lot uh, the onus and responsibility of like I should have played better I should have tried harder like 
all of that stuff. You know, I should have trained harder. And there's an element to that, obviously. But there's another side of things that, um, again, the amount of resources that are put into certain athletes versus not, like, oftentimes we don't take that into consideration, which I think for us to, like, again, I just took a lot of the load and, and weight of, again, blaming myself or just being hard on myself uh, in that sense as well. So not sure if that answered your fully your question. I think it does because you're able to share a little bit about your experience afterwards with things you're going through, right? And I appreciate and the audience appreciates your uh, vulnerability there. And so we'll kind of talk a little bit about, about this a bit more and, and kind of then venture into coaching. So um, what would you say God is teaching you now in regards to faith and sports through your experience? I know that was a few years ago now, but it sounds like you've been doing a lot of healing and some learning as well. So what do you think you've learned from the Lord uh, in this situation and for future situations that occur for you and maybe some of the athletes that you get to be in contact with as well? Yeah, good question. I think you, you said it in your question. This journey has been a journey of healing and also through that freedom. And so I think that's why God's been teaching me more and more is that, um, again, this verse that I love is in Christ, we have been set free. Therefore, we do not need to submit again to another yoke of slavery. And sports can be one of those things that can enslave us and, and finding more freedom in just enjoying right now. For me, post-competition is how do I even enjoy play? Before, I was just kind of doing it. I was like, okay, well, I have a goal. Therefore, you know, I'm going to work out because I want to win at this. Now it's just like doing it for fun. Like that concept I had to learn um, post-Olympics as well. And, you know, being active. And I, I'm learning how to enjoy play and uh, just to, to love movement and uh, to be able to, again, embrace the body that God's given me. And yeah, I, I mentioned freedom before. It's uh, it's funny because I haven't really touched beach volleyball per se again since London, which is wild, right? That was like 10 years ago. Like I'll, I must have played a couple times, but there's, again, there's just still a lot of like shame there. Like I knew the level was at. I'm just like, if I play again, you kind of have this expectation to be at that same level. But realistically, like I'm definitely not, but I'm excited to be able to play some um, beach volleyball this summer it's so nice here and safely, obviously, uh, given that we're still in a pandemic. But yeah, I'm excited to go back into it and just enjoy it for what it is, right? Just, again, to play and enjoy sport and, and find freedom in that. Elodie, you raise an interesting point because playing sport, like God has, has given us that gift. And often as humans, as sinful beings, we uh, corrupt it and make it into something that I don't think God intended it to be this uh, marker of our identity or a uh, marker of who we are as a human and how we then compare it to others. So definitely understand that. And are you able to pass some of these lessons now onto the athletes that you were coaching? You're no longer coaching with the University of Toronto women's team, but you are coaching out in the West. Is that correct? For Trinity Western? Mm-hmm. So for the Trinity Western women's volleyball team, a very successful volleyball program, I might add, both the men's and women's teams have been very, very successful just building a pipeline of players from, I don't even know where they find them, but all on the West Coast, they all pipeline into Trinity Western. So what kind of lessons and, and what kind of things have you been able to impart onto the athletes that you coach now, now that you're kind of on the other side from playing over into coaching? 
Well, I think it's a really neat program in the sense of it is a Christian university and uh, it's, it's neat that I'm able to share that aspect of integrating faith and sport, uh, which I've really enjoyed uh, since being in the program. Also neat because uh, the values of the team are uh, live free, play free, protect the team, and strong individuals make a strong team. My role specifically with Trinity is being uh, a chaplain and uh, be able to do Bible studies and Bible like devos, beginning practices really honing in on what it means to live free, play free, because that's, it's on our walls. And I feel like it's funny too, because that's what God's been teaching me, you know, this past few years is how to, to live free in his freedom. Uh, and in that, and through that, to be able to play free, right? Because I know, again, that my identity is secure in Christ, and I have a seat at the table, the table of God. And yeah, so be able to share that. And, and I mean, it's, it's, Easier said than done, for sure. And so it's the opportunity to be able to like go through like specific situations or events, and you know, be able to be like, "Hey, like, how did you feel during that time?" Like, and just kind of help athletes kind of notice the lies uh, that they've been believing, um, and bring them back to God's truth and what God says about them. And so that's been a really cool opportunity to be able to do that. And of course, I have to ask now. What are some differences that you found? Uh, obviously, there are going to be many, but what are some of the main things that you've noted with between coaching and playing? Some things that maybe you now uh, admire or enjoy about your coaches in the past now that you're kind of in the coaching chair. So you so you understand what it was like for when you were a player, maybe yelling at a coach, maybe not yelling, but uh, just seeing what the coaches were doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's actually quite a valuable experience having played and then be able to relate then as a coach again specifically the people that I focus on are are like the defensive specialists like the liberos or the people that you know are there for defense and um, helping them kind of see the game because you know as a player you are able to see the game and you know speak to that a little bit I think the coaching since I was a player, the coaching culture definitely has changed in how we even approach the style of coaching, I think, too. Like, the style of coaching, it's it's not so much like, you know, telling them specific, minute details of what to do, but even growing as a coach and learning how to make it more, I guess, externally focused rather than internally focused in terms of cues, providing a lot of external cues and, and learning how to adapt to those changes. So. I think maybe that would be the downside of playing. It's just like, okay, as an athlete, this is what worked for me. And so you think that, you know, it'd work for the athletes, but learning that, you know, the, the game changes, the game evolves, and it's evolved quite a bit. Like you said, athletes, there's like a pipeline that come here, but I'm also like, athletes, like, how do they get so big? And how do they get so strong? And, you know, how can they jump so high? And the game's just so much faster. It looks so much faster. So the game's evolved quite a bit. Um, and so how to be able to adapt to, to those changes as well. And in terms of your role, you said you're a chaplain, but you're also, you kind of moonlight or, or you're also a coach as well, right? Like you're, you're doing both or just the chaplaincy? This year looked a little different. Like I'll help out at practices, but yeah, my uh, main role would be being a chaplain. Okay, sweet. So those would be kind of your main roles and responsibilities there. And so it just sounds like God is able to use your Olympic experience, the ideas of identity, surrendering to him all those 
things that we talk about with faith and sport to the athletes that are now at a Christian university. I, I just don't know if you maybe thought of it like that, but it seems pretty cool to have it come full circle here for your time now at that school. So what do you kind of think about that as you reflect on where God has brought you from and, and to where he's brought you now? Yeah, I mean, I guess I haven't really thought a whole lot about that. So it's interesting you're bringing it up and I'm just going to reflect on it now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really neat how God's been bringing a lot of things full circle, actually. So my role within Athletes in Action actually has changed slightly where I am helping with staff training and development, which that uses my you know skills and uh, education in education because uh, I was a teacher before joining staff. And so that's almost full circle there. My other role is part of Global Strategies. Uh, we're, I'm part of a Global Strategies team, and that's uh, partnering with our international colleagues and helping them open uh, doors for ministry in their respective countries. And one of our partners is Mauritius. And so that's almost like full circle there, going back to Mauritius and, you know, re-engaging with the sporting community in Mauritius. So yeah, I guess this is another area of, again, my journey uh, as an athlete and processing how I can play freely in the love of Christ. And again, just having that freedom and then be able to share that freedom and having others experience that freedom and like athletes and be able to freely share that, not, you know, uh, just hiding, but like having a space to be able to freely share that, I guess. Yeah. In many ways that has come full circle as well. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. And Elodie, we're going to wrap up the episode here with an opportunity for you to give advice to athletes or parents listening to the audience who, or parents of athletes uh, who struggle with this, just struggle with identity and, and the need to, and I know as an athlete, and I think all athletes listening can understand this, just the need to be victorious, the need to compare. There's all these things that come with being an athlete. And so what's some advice you would give them with those who struggle with identity and, and maybe in a similar boat to where you were many years ago now? in your Olympic experience? Uh, Again, another good question. As I reflect on this, and I was just sharing with actually yesterday, somebody I had mentored when I was at U of T before coming here, working with Athletes in Action, and she was just asking me advice on what mentorship looks like. And I think it's very pertinent to this as well, where what, you know, I shared this at the beginning, what's helped me and how these coaches have empowered me, encouraged me, really, it's not necessarily by um, a whole lot of what they've said per se, although they've encouraged me along the way, but in many ways, they've held a mirror for me. And what they were trying to do is to help me see myself the way that I guess in many ways they saw me and uh, helped me see the potential uh, that I had. And so I say that because as I mentor others, my prayer is that I would be able to hold that mirror for them. And so it's not even a mirror to see all those things within ourselves, but really also holding a mirror to see how God sees us. And, um, I don't know how to describe it, even like a, a God mirror, if that exists. And so I think that happens in, in our relationship with God, our intimacy with God of knowing to know who he is, not just what he can do and how he sees us. And um, I think as I've grown in that, that's helped me understand more of me. And so I hope that answers that question of, of 
how uh, to help is, is really to reflect God first and foremost in that mirror, but also to help, again, how God sees us and, yeah, as a result of that, how we see ourselves. Yeah, because if we, and I, I hear your point there, LD, because if we understand how God sees us as a, as a child who's been washed clean through what Jesus has done, then the need to perform, the need to be successful isn't the same. And it's not to say, Elodie, of course, and I don't think you would say this, that if you're an athlete who's a Christian, therefore you don't try to be the best or you don't try to, to win a gold medal, right? But it's just putting that into perspective of what happens if it if it does occur or if it doesn't occur, right? Yeah, and it's hard to pinpoint because it, it, it's just a different heart posture, right? Like it's it's one that... Again, I have trouble explaining this because I've been asked this of my own journey right now, but it's a, a posture of just really being rooted in a God who does not change. Like, he is a rock. And I've heard all these truths before, and I honestly have to say, it's not until I recently, maybe during the pandemic maybe, of understanding that relational aspect of who God is and how much he does actually care for us. And so much so that he did send his son and through his death and resurrection, we can have life. Like I need to pause daily to reflect on the actual gospel message and to reflect on that roots me in many ways in my identity in him. Yeah, Elodie, that sounds like more advice for the audience, right? To daily reflect on spending time with the Lord and reflect on what he's done and what he's continuing to do. So, Elodie, we appreciate you uh, giving time out of your day there and just being vulnerable with your story. Talking about how, you know, Olympics is not all glitz and glamour. There's uh, some hiccups along the way, and we do appreciate that. So, Elodie, uh, yeah, that that sums up our episode for today. Appreciate your time and uh, wish you all the best in your uh, work with athletes in action out there in Langley, British Columbia, and just even how you're talking about how to view sport, being able to see it as a form of playing and fun instead of just uh, this thing that's part of our, our core identity. So appreciate that, Elodie. We'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you to you guys. Thanks, Theo. A pleasure. Our next and final episode of Season 1 features Dave Clausen, the National Director of Athletes in Action Canada, and chaplain for the BC Lions of the Canadian Football League and the Vancouver Canucks of the National Hockey League. During the interview, Dave shares his story of coming to faith, and we discuss his heart for sports ministry and experience as a chaplain. Want to connect with Onside Athletics? You can find us at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. May we continue to glorify God in everything we do.